Hey, what's going on, guys? Our guest today is the executive director and founder of Homegrown Host Homes. It is a local nonprofit here in Eureka, and their mission is to address a really big problem here in Eureka, and especially in, in California just in general, homelessness. Homegrown Host Homes is focusing on transitional youth, so young adults aged 18 to 24, and the model that they are implementing to try to help curb this and help these kids is interesting. I've never heard of a model like this being used, but it's interesting. I'm really excited to see how it all plays out and where they go with it, and I mean, honestly, anything that can help you know, these kids and help get them off the street is a good thing. So I'm excited. I hope it works out and I hope it, it grows and reaches its fullest potential and has an impact on some of these kids' lives. So please give it up for Joanne Tyala. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How about you? Good, good. So, Homegrown Host Homes. Do you want to kind of say what that's about for people that haven't heard it before? Yeah. So, Homegrown is a host home program that basically we're asking community members who have a spare bedroom or um, a space that can be turned into a private area um, to host a youth who is experiencing housing instability or homelessness uh, for just a short period of time. It's a transitional housing intervention um, to support these youth. Uh, They're ages 18 to 24, so young adults. Um, And it's really... It's more of a community-based intervention, so you're not waiting around for more affordable housing to open up, because there's definitely not enough of that here in the area. And the program serves all of Humboldt County. Okay. How did the idea start? Well, it's not a new idea. Um, This is actually a proven uh, intervention that's used all over the United States. Um, actually, Point Source Youth, um, they're a national organization that helps people start host home programs along with a few other interventions um, that are you know, cost effective and can help with preventative measures that are utilizing uh, existing infrastructures. So. Okay, so this is this is almost a national kind of program or nonprofit. Yeah. So um, I am personally starting it here in Humboldt County as a you know local nonprofit. Um, so we're still in the process of getting our 501c3. But the host home program idea and model is used nationally. So there are a lot okay. of other programs across the country. And so this is, is this a more effective method? For the transitional youth, like this is uh, yes. the ideal way to kind of transition them from, I would assume it's from like foster care 
right? Because 18, that's probably when they age out. Yeah, I would say that there's a lot of people who are homeless who have aged out of foster care. I believe in California, it's roughly 20%, like the day that they turn 18, that they become homeless because they don't have anywhere to go. Now, there are, of course, services for... um, you know, foster youth up to age 21, but there's not enough for everyone. And so there are people who definitely need that support um, when they're transitioning to adulthood who just don't have it. And so have you noticed for here locally, is it a lot of people that have just aged out of foster care? Or is it predominantly people who have just been homeless from a young age? Um. I I would say, based on what I know of the population, there is a chunk of them who have aged out of foster care Mm -hmm. who need supports, yes. And so you guys, you kind of act as like that transitional group for them. I would assume that you're, like, how are you, so after, because 18 to 24, right? So after they age out of your program, are you guys helping them to find a more permanent housing spot, or this is just like a temporary solution to get them a house yeah so the idea they're not going to be in the program for years or Mm -hmm. anything like that the idea is you know whether they need like one month or up to a year of support um while they're in our program they're going to be working with a case manager um me typically who would be helping them work towards independent living so helping them find a job, you know, working on resumes, all of those things, um, and then helping them to save, create a budgeting plan, and then helping them when they're ready and have the money and support, um, we would help them find housing that's in their price range, that's affordable, that they can sustain independent living on their own. Um, But yeah, ideally, I would say a lot of the programs that are using host home models have three to six months in that time frame where that's like the average there would be with you guys. Yeah, I would say that's the average. Now, not to say that some people don't need a year, some people don't need a month. Uh, It really the big piece of it is um, when youth have their basic needs met. So. They have housing, stable, safe, shelter, and they have access to food. Then they can focus on those needs because it's really just not easy to, you know, find and maintain a stable job if you don't have housing. Um, You know, you may not have access to transportation. Your sleep patterns are erratic. You're, you know, worried about your safety. So you just, um, it'd be hard to maintain that when you're homeless yeah absolutely i would imagine that just getting that room to breathe which you guys kind of provide like that would be you know instrumental in kind of changing their their direction you know and getting off the street yeah so you said 20 percent of youth that's nationally become homeless when they hit 18 um no so that out of foster care yeah so but that was a statistic specifically from california that i okay i I believe that's right i looked that up a you know like a month ago so so how many children are you typically dealing with 
Um, so the idea is just being a new nonprofit. The goal is to start with 10 youth. I know that's not a lot, but it's an improvement on how many people are being served. Now, you know, if the program is successful and we're able to find enough hosts, absolutely want to expand and help more youth. Uh, but yes, the starting goal is, you know, getting 10 youth placed. So have you guys actually started yet or you're still in like the planning phase of it all yeah um so i have been working on recruiting hosts um and i know it's a big ask so it's a it's definitely a challenge especially with um all the complications of the pandemic um you know, I've got most stuff set up and ready to go to start services. I actually um, am working on uh, the process of training our first host. So we do have one person so far who's um, planning on starting. So yeah, we are about to start implementing services, which is really exciting. Um but yeah, we definitely need more community members to step up and help out. Because um, without hosts, you know, this model doesn't work. Yeah, it kind of falls apart. Huh? Yeah. And so it's it's a great intervention. And I know, um, you know, it can seem kind of scary to people to, you know, bring someone into your home. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in place to make it a safe and stable situation. And there's a whole process that goes through it. So, you know, we're doing background checks on both the host and the youth. You know, as far as youth coming in, we're, um, you know, making sure that the hosts are safe, supportive people. We're checking references. We're doing a background check. And then we're doing a matching process. So we want to make sure to fit people together as best we can. It's not like foster care where someone just comes into the home and you don't know anything about them. Um, you're, you're trying to match people based on like lifestyle um, values and expectations and those sorts of things. And then everyone's working together to create, um, you know, house rules and expectations that the, both the host and the youth follow. So it's a collaborative process. And, host and youth on both ends have an opportunity to say, no, I don't think this is going to be a good match. Um, well, I'd like to try and match with someone else. And so there's, you know, every step of the way, it's you you get to have a say and who's going to be there. And you have time to get to know people. It's not like we're just throwing someone into your house. It's um, there's a few meetings that happen before everyone decides what's the desired relationship between the host and the child is it like a almost like a mock parent and child or is it like a tenant and landlord situation it's a really good question um it's definitely not a parenting situation they are young adults you know um they need to make all their own decisions uh the way i th i think of it is it, it, I would say it's more like a roommate situation, except there are really great opportunities for mentoring and connection. So what I kind of like about this is you have um, a lot of the aspects of this is kind of like, it, you know, when you're hosting an international student or programs like that, although they're younger, and so you do have more of a parenting role there. It's not like that. You have a lot of that mentoring aspects in there. And so I think of like also Big Brothers Big Sisters. 
except that's outside of the home. So you're kind of meshing those two. And, you know, um, I'm not phrasing this right, but yeah, you, so you're, you have the roommate situation, but then you have that added component of like with big brothers, big sisters, where you do some mentoring. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the idea behind it is, it's really intriguing. I, I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out, but it definitely seems like it's a big ask for the homeowner to it you is. Know, have this, this person come into your life and into your home, which is extremely personal. It is, but it's also such a really cool experience. Um, and uh, how I've heard this from other host home programs is it's just like a messy, magical process. But hosts who have been a part of it is say it's a life-changing experience for them and in a good way, you know. You learn a lot, um, and it helps you grow as a person, too. You're not just, you know, helping someone out. Yeah. Are you in contact with a lot of the other host home programs, like, feeding off of each other with ideas and such yes okay yeah yeah i would imagine you almost need that support to try to get it up and up and running yeah and um there are just a lot of great resources out there we're all kind of in collaboration with each other um i actually moved here from minneapolis um last september i'm from here but i spent the last six years in minneapolis and their host home program at avenues for youth they're one of the kind of the top-notch programs and they do a lot of um, help with supporting new programs getting off the ground. And so um, they've been really great with helping me get things going. So I would imagine that the biggest limiting factor would probably be getting the host. Yes. Right? How many, do you have 10 hosts lined up right now? <laughs> no, uh, I have one. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's a bit of a challenge. It is. I, you know, I've had some people express interest, but... I, I would say the the big factor has been, you know, a lot of people are working from home, and so that second bedroom has turned into an office, and so things are extra crowded um, for people right now. And so I'm hoping also as this transition of um, more people getting vaccinated or um, transitioning back into workplaces, that that might open up some more interest into possibly hosting but um, especially like you know people um, who were previous foster parents um, those are the types of people who I think have expressed interest because there's there's a huge need what are the biggest concerns of the the host parents because when I think about it I think you know the biggest thing that comes to mind is safety both for the host the hosting party and for you know, the, the youth that's coming into the house. I know you said you do background checks and stuff, but still yep. sometimes people just don't, don't click, you know? Yeah. And so again, staff are with them throughout that whole process. And so we're navigating all of those situations with the host and the youth. And so if things come up and they will come up, you know, we'll work with them to, um, work things out or, say hey you know if we need to move someone we need to move someone but Mm. that that's not what we want to have happen um yeah so i totally feel like i lost my train of thought and i forgot it was just like that the safety aspect of it all bringing in this this other person and you have these two parties who really don't know each other yeah um so i think yeah you were asking about what issues come up out of that right yeah for like for the hosts as well as for for the youth coming in so um 
a big thing I would say are expectations like that. And that's why we have people sit down and like really figure that out. Um, this is like, you know, what chores are we going to do? What um, what's expected of me? Like, can I have visitors? So visitors is the thing that I've heard comes up, um, you know, food, because everyone has different types of food that they like, you know, and it if um, the hosts are, you know, say, so like I'm vegetarian and the youth is a meat eater, if I was hosting a youth, you would still want to provide food that the youth would want to eat and have that in the home so that they feel like their needs are being met because maybe they don't like vegetarian food. So, so the, host, the host is providing food as well. Yes. Okay. And so that can look differently for everyone, you know, like if you're so there is I, I should say there is this option for a financial stipend for people who, um, you know, really can't afford to take on the additional cost of living. It basically covers utilities and food for the youth and like toiletries. Okay. And so um, that 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 would cover that. And there are options, too, you know, if you. If you're able to provide dinner for a youth, awesome. You know, youth can typically access uh, EBT card, food stamps, so they can get their own snacks and breakfast and lunch and figure that stuff out for themselves. You know, they're resourceful. Um, but yeah, providing dinners at the bare minimum, I would say, is Would important. be at the top of the list, yeah. Yeah. Especially where they're just, I mean, you're assuming that they don't have a job if they're homeless, so that yeah. being able to provide that support, okay. So they can get a stipend for that. That's interesting. And I guess, I mean, it just seems hard in that, you know, you're really just trying to lean on the community. You almost need the community to come out and be like, yeah, this is something that we we need to, we need to help provide, I guess, in a sense. Yes, but when you're thinking of that, too, um, you know, every young adult needs the support of the community. Like, typically, you know, a successful young adult has the support of their friends, their family. Like, they they have access to resources in order to, you know, be successful. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the people who are experiencing housing instability are typically people who don't have enough supports. They don't have someone that they can turn to um, who can give them access to these resources. And so um, I do believe it is important for community members to step up and support other community members, you know, and have that, you know, kind of us and us mentality versus us and them mentality that some people have. Like a lot of people, I think, also just don't realize that people experiencing homelessness are just like us. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're just having some... They're, they're down on their luck, I would say, mm -hmm. and just need a little extra support. Are there, is there certain criteria that the youth would have to meet, like no drug use or no alcohol use to be included in the program? Or Absolutely not. Um, okay. So we are a harm reduction, housing first model. Um, we use trauma-informed care as well. So that means, you know, we don't require sobriety for people to enter the program. Now, I fully understand that, you know, hosts aren't necessarily going to want drug and alcohol use in their home, and that's fine. You know, if they want to use elsewhere, they can use elsewhere. 
also not every youth who's experiencing homelessness is using anyway. Um, but it should never be, I think, something that limits housing. You know, housing's a human right. And I think when you require sobriety in order to get housing, it's it's really difficult because you really need housing and stability before you can work on other things that you need to work on in mm-hmm. order to be successful in life. I could definitely see that being a limiting factor though on the host side. Cuz if you I mean yep. if I if I was thinking about it and I was going to host a child and they're you know using whatever drugs especially harder drugs, I could see that, mm-hmm. you know, playing into it. I do want to specify though that this type of program is It's an early intervention. So if you're catching people who are at the beginning of homelessness, you're typically getting people who aren't like really having strong drug use. You're catching, you know, maybe they'll use marijuana or Mm -hmm. something recreationally, but it's not necessarily going to be the people who are constantly in homelessness because of their drug use so they can't hold down a job because of that they can't um you know keep their housing due to issues related to that that's more um there are other housing programs that work with people who need more long-term support and i would say that those people typically fit into that category Mm -hmm. versus um the quick short-term transitional housing this is almost like the fork in the road for them yes where it's like you're trying to catch them early enough where you can prevent a lot of that yes okay why 18 to 24 uh yeah and so 18 to 24 year olds the biggest thing is if you're catching it early if you're helping them before they've experienced long-term homelessness before they've had a lot of trauma or Um, high drug use or all of the things that come with homelessness, you know, um, when you've been homeless for a long time, you can experience PTSD or um, lots of things that just come with living on the streets and being more in survival mode. You are, you're catching it early, then um, when they are stable, they're more likely to stay in stable housing. And so that's, you know, it's preventing from having to do more homeless services later down the road, like with adults who, um, you know, I would say a lot of people who get adult services, they've at least been homeless for a year because there are not enough places to provide services that they're helping the people who are in most need. And so um, it can be harder to exit that cycle at that point once you've experienced long-term homelessness. Yeah, which makes sense. It just, it continues. You almost get sucked deeper into it. Yeah. What is the, I mean, homelessness is such a a crazy problem and it just seems like it's spinning out of control almost. Is it just a lack of resources that are devoted to, to almost like this preventative approach where you catch these kids early enough to kind of change their path? Or, I mean, why is it, why is this, why is this an issue that is big enough that it needs a program like this, where it's not just one or two kids, but it's it's 20% of foster youth, or it's X amount of whatever? I, I'm sorry, can you kind of yeah, that can, a little I differently? Can, yeah, I can bring the scope in. Um, why, I mean, why is homelessness this uncontrollable problem? Why are we, why is it that when you drive down Old Town, you see 
a ton of them. Just this, this homeless problem. I mean, why is it, I know it's not just drug use and I know it's not just mental health, even though those are big contributors. They are. Um, why, why is this problem not addressed more? I guess at a national level, at a, at a state level, because it seems like people are doing things, but it doesn't seem like it's making any progress. It seems like the problem is, is growing. So to answer your question, I know the scope of that is, is very large. I don't mean to put you on the spot. It with is that. huge. And yeah. it's also very, I feel like it's different in Humboldt versus other places because a big, huge factor of homelessness in most places, not Humboldt County specifically, because we have a high white population, you see a lot of um, people who are homeless are disproportionately people of color, indigenous people. Um, and I know that's that's not the majority here, but in general, that's the reason. And so you have a lot of systemic racism issues that are underlying poverty and homelessness factors that contribute to people staying homeless. And so that's, you know, nationally, that's a bigger issue. And um, when you say systemic issues, do you have any, any like go to points? Like what is what leads you towards that? Yeah, I mean... Because that's just such a blanket. You hear that term thrown around all the time. I just was wondering if there's if you have something a little more concrete and, behind that. And this is where I'm, uh, you know, not great with coming up with the mm-hmm. stats on the spot. But um, what, I, what I think of is, you know, you have stuff like redlining, um, things where it's harder for people of color to get home loans or get um, housing and you know, nicer neighborhoods or um, just the fact that they end up in jail more um, due to like minor things and this, you know, where they live, um, like, I'm trying to, um, just like uh, incarceration rates, you know, when you're coming out of jail, um, it's hard to get housing. It's hard to get a job. And so that plays into it. So mm-hmm. there, there's stuff like that. Um, are a lot, I don't know if you would know the answer to this, but out of the homeless population that are adults, have a lot of them been homeless since they were, say, 18? Or is it kind of hit or miss? Like some people are homeless in their youth and, and manage to come out of it? Or is it it's usually a lifelong sentence if they don't get that help. You know, I think it just depends on the person. There's so many different factors. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, say, a homeless youth who's experienced housing instability your whole life, um, maybe you got kicked out when you were 18 because you were in foster care and, you know, you just never got that support when you were young, you might continue to be homeless throughout your life um there are people who you know just lose their jobs like the pandemic cost a lot of people their jobs absolutely and so um you could just be down on your luck and it could be hard to get out um some people can get on their feet quickly and some people need more support and i would say a lot of the people um who do experience long-term um homelessness you know, there, there's some 
mental health issues that need to be addressed, and that can be really hard to get out of homelessness when you have that. Yeah, mental health is definitely, it's a big factor in, I think, a lot of this. Yeah. What is, I don't want to say success rate, but what is the success rate for programs like this? Like when you were in Minneapolis, like how many transitional youth do you guys place into housing afterwards and they they don't revert back to homelessness? So I didn't work for them, so oh. I couldn't give you like their specific rates, but I do know that most of the youth who are coming through these types of programs, who are receiving supports from host home programs, are typically successful. You know, there are follow-ups after, I know, I think like after a year you check in and see, are they still um, living independently? Are they holding down a job? And I would say typically, yes, that is the case from the information I've been given. Mm-hmm. It seems like affordable housing is another big barrier in all this. Oh, it's a huge problem. Yeah, rent is so... I mean, even here, rent is just ridiculous. And if you go... Affordable housing is not affordable either. Mm -mm. Like, you look at the the minimum wage here, and you look at the cost of rent. Yeah. It doesn't equal... It doesn't add up. Yeah, minimum wage is definitely not not the ideal and it's not really a living wage anymore like what you would hope to see so just it's crazy that all these barriers are set up and you know i mean if you're in foster care which is a whole nother ball game to try to come out of that and and just be able to provide for yourself and continue to push through it seems like a, a very significant challenge that is daunting yeah I mean, the idea of overcoming that. That's why I was very interested in your guys' program, just to see how that all would how that all would play out and help them, you know? When do you guys plan on starting? It's just as we get as hosts. Mm-hmm. So, like, stuff's set up. It's ready to go. I mean, I am still working on some host home trainings um, and improving doing that here locally. But um, for now, I do have training from other programs that I can utilize. So that's the only other thing I'm really um, needing to do. But otherwise, it's uh, recruitment. And then um, I I have referrals that I can get from other organizations for youth who are in need. And so as I get hosts, I'll get those referrals and we can start matching. Now, is it just you working at this right now? Do you have a team? Um, I wish I had a team. It is me because, you know, uh, I told you we're still working on our 501c3. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when we get that, then we can apply for funding. Um, so right now I'm doing this on my own. Um, I'm not getting paid. I'm a volunteer. So, yeah. Are you working as well as doing this? Is this like a... No, this is my full-time job. Oh, wow. Okay. How do you support yourself? Uh, my husband has a good-paying job. Luckily okay. for me, I'm able to work on something I'm really passionate about, and this is something I've always wanted to do is start up my own nonprofit and um, just make make a difference where I can. So. And that 501c3, I'll be honest, I don't really know what that is, but I'm assuming that's the labeling for a nonprofit. That yes. That kind of allows you to receive federal and state grants and stuff. Yes. And such. Okay. That is what that is. Is there a lot of funding allocated to this at the state level? Uh, it just depends. Um, I, I would say there's more than enough funding for the cost of what it would be to run this program mm-hmm. here. Um, 
I should be able to get funding once I have that. But waiting for 501c3 status, it can take a while. So um, once I get the form turned in, which I will have it turned in this week, actually, um, it'll be about five month wait before funding. Now, not to scare anyone off who wants to be a host, I am good to go on the host stipends. I've got stuff figured out for that. But um, just as far as like paying staff or things like that goes is what I mean. Where where would that money come from? From your from you? What? The stipend money? You said you had that taken oh, care of um that. there's um there's support from other organizations oh, okay. and being able to kind of cover rent. Mm-hmm. And so we would consider that as kind of like a, a rent support. So And with this I guess can you sponsor more than one child at once? Or would it really be a, a one-to-one kind of focus? No, I, I mean, um, you could host more than one youth. Like, if you have a couple bedrooms, mm-hmm. absolutely, that's a possibility. Um, I would recommend just starting, starting with one. With one. Yeah. And then if you want to use your other bedroom for a second, that's great. And, you know, host... You know, you're committing to hosting one person, but if you like it and, you know, say person's gone in three months and you want to host someone else, awesome. You can keep it going. So what goes into the training program for the hosts? Yeah. So there's a lot of different stuff. Um, You're learning about trauma, being trauma informed. Um, You're learning about setting boundaries and expectations. Um, You're learning... Oh, God, there's so many things, and my head is being very No, it's okay. So it's almost just like how to safely and interact in a healthy way with with who's with you, almost, and and be that mentor and take care of them, but maintain space and maintain that relationship in a way, I would imagine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Close enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow, that's... That's interesting. I'm always fascinated by mentorship programs because I think that is something that is is extremely invaluable for people of all ages. I think you could always gain oh yeah valuable information from having someone who's a little more experienced than you. And, and you learn as the mentor too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been mentoring a girl from Big Brothers Big Sisters for the last like, oh, it's been almost five years now, although it's unofficial now that I've moved back to California. But um I've learned so much from her, too. It's incredible. What made you want to get involved in this? Because, I mean, it seems like it is <laughs> It is definitely a noble pursuit, I would say, but it, it's draining, I would imagine, just having to deal with the weight of it all, the gravity of it. Yeah, so I guess what initially got me into it is um, a few years ago, my husband and I, we actually tried to adopt two teens who were about to age out of foster care. Um, They were 16 and 17 sisters, and um, we we ended up not making it all the way through the matching process with them. Um, You know, they wanted someone who would be able to meet their cultural needs. Um, Native American families were definitely preferred, and I understood that. Very heartbroken, nonetheless. Um, but then I started, like, thinking, you know, like, well, what if they don't get adopted? Um, if they age out of foster care, what's going to happen to them? What supports are they going to have? And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole and uh, 
I found a statistic of like, you know, the 20,000 plus foster youth age out each year and end up homeless. And I was like, that is just mind boggling. That's a lot. Um, and so I kind of, that and I, I would say, I, I mean, I had some of my own experiences when I was uh, a young kid. Um, when my parents got divorced, my dad had experienced homelessness and kind of doubled up and couch surfed at friends and family's places and kind of slept on the floor there. And there were nights where, like, you know, if his friends weren't home, um, sleep in the car, you know. That, that's what it was. And so just, like, those experiences combined, I'm kind of like, you know, I think this is what I want to do. Like, so I got a job working as a case manager for the link in Minnesota, um, in a housing first program. And, uh, it, it, it was really awesome to be able to support people. Like I had a youth on my caseload who I got to see him get a job, a full-time job making like $40,000 a year being able to support himself like it's the coolest thing it, yeah that's got to be a great feeling oh it feels so good it's like you you feel so much pride like you feel so proud of them um and just seeing that is it's it's amazing i had no idea that there were cultural almost prerequisites i guess to to adopting people i mean it makes it kind of I mean, it makes sense, I guess, but that seems kind of outrageous in a way. I wouldn't say it's, like, a prerequisite. They prefer. Mm -hmm. They have preferences. Like, I fully get that, though, because Native Americans have very different needs, and um, their culture is very different, and so you want to really be able to provide and support for them. I've learned so much since then on... That and not to say I, you know, I do an amazing job. I try my best, but um, you definitely want people who are going to understand culture. Like if you are also a white person and you ab you adopt a, you know, black kid, you need to learn how to care for their hair and their skin. You know, you have to make sure because it's different. So it's just making sure that you're knowledgeable about the situation. Yeah, but it seems like. First and foremost, it would be, is this a loving family? Because how many kids go oh, yes. unadopted each year? It seems like if this is a loving family and this child is going to be taken care of and, and not abused and not mistreated, that would be above all. But above all. But you're also thinking about different things. Like, you know, the, the girls that we were trying to adopt were already in a good foster home mm. that was an ICWA family. So they knew that they, their cultural needs were already being met. And so you also, you have to weigh stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes into it, a lot yeah, more than people like realize. That. But yes, I mean, you definitely want to put them in a good home. Mm -hmm. I think I that kind of just caught me off guard because, you know, what are, what are cultural needs? Like I'm Latino, uh -huh. but if you, like if I was talking to someone who is more culturally aware of, of their Hispanic roots, I would be lost. I would be like, I don't, I, I, you know, I'm American, I'm Mexican, but yeah. culturally I'm not well-versed where I would, if someone were trying to adopt me, God forbid, like if I lost my parents and back when I was, you know, a child, that would, I don't think that would have been a barrier for me just because. Yeah. 
you know, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily raised in, in that way. Like I have cultural, I guess, but it's not like, it's not necessarily tied to what it would have been if I was born in Mexico. You know what I mean? It's different for everyone, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that more of a focus with, obviously with, with people of color and minorities than I would suppose, right? Because. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That seems so crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Did those girls ever get adopted? Do you know? Um, I don't officially know, but when they're off of the, you know, website, the Minnesota Waiting Kids list page, um, you assume that they're adopted. Mm-hmm. So you hope. they were taken off of it. So I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that they did get a good family to live with and support them. So. Yeah, that's I mean the foster care in that whole that whole system is just it it needs some help. I yeah. Think. It really needs it needs some overhaul because so many kids you go into that system and you don't ever come out and it changes you forever. Understandably so because you know that's not that's not what you want for these kids. You yeah. want them to have a stable and loving home and and reach their full potential, whatever that is for them, whatever, whatever path they choose, you want them to be able to strive for that. And you hear, you hear these stories of kids, especially going into foster care, but, but just these kids enduring these painful times in their youth. And that shapes them for the rest of their lives. I'm reading this book right now. Mm-hmm. It's called can't hurt me by David Goggins. And he was a Navy SEAL. He's an ultra marathon runner. And when he was a child, not to not to spoil the book, um, this is just a small part, but when he or an important part, but when he was a child, he was abused by his father. He worked at his family's roller rink, so he never really got to sleep or focus on school. He would sleep during class at school from yeah. when he was like six and seven because he'd be up all night working the roller rink with his family. And his dad was abusive um, towards him and his brother and also his mother. And just you hear about what he went through and the psychological trauma that that has on anybody, but let alone a child in your formative years like that. And then to, in his case to hear how he overcame that and and use that to fuel these other desires and become someone who wasn't defined by what happened to him was incredible but that's not that's not the standard right no it's not that's not usually what happens to these kids they undergo this trauma and that's what defines them and it's understandable because that is that is so significant most people wouldn't be able to handle abuse like that as adults let alone as When you're six and seven, like your parents are your heroes. They're supposed to guide you and and help you become who you are and kind of mentor you as, as their, as your parents, you know? And it's just that people don't like to think about that, especially with like homeless youth Mm -hmm. and foster care. People like to sweep these ideas kind of under the rug because they're not nice. They're not good to look at, you know? Yeah. But it's so sad. And it's such a daunting problem, and I don't know how you how you begin to fix that, I guess. I mean, I think programs like this are definitely a, a huge step in the right direction. Um, 
but it doesn't seem like it's it's almost enough you know what i mean you're right yeah um all you can do is try and help out where you can and in whatever way you can and even if it's just you know like donating to an org or helping to be a respite person for a foster parent or um whatever you can do to help people i think it's it's important mm-hmm. how are you identifying potential hosts not to just swoop back onto the subject but how how does that play out are you just reaching out to whoever you can get a hold of or Oh, I've been trying lots of different things, and I still have lots of different things I need to try. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've I, I've done a lot of online recruitment, recruitment first. Um, through, like, social media? or Yeah. Um, and, like, through people I know, and then asking them to reach out to people they know. And, yeah, um, like, community groups through Facebook has been a, a good way to reach out to people i've uh i did an interview with k mud at one point as well um so just getting the word out where i can yeah but uh you know word of mouth is definitely the best way so you know Mm -hmm. even if you know like one to two people like hey you got a spare bedroom and i think you'd make a great host um just send them my way um yeah yeah well hopefully people will We'll hear this, and if it sparks something inside of them, they'll, they will reach out to you and make something happen there. Yeah, and it, it's no commitment to call and get more information either. If someone's interested, um, we can talk through any concerns, see if it's the right fit. Again, you have an opportunity to say, no, I don't think this is the right fit once you're through the training, and that's okay. There's no no commitment. You can... Try it out. See if it works. Yeah. Although, you know, I would say once you have a youth placed in your yes, home. Yes, then it's a little bit more of a commitment. Then you have a commitment. You don't want to be moving these kids around any more than, no, than I necessary. Don't, yeah, I don't want to, if possible. I mm-hmm. would like to avoid that. So. All right. Well, Joanne, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. I feel like, I mean, it's a it's a hard conversation, but I'm, I'm excited to see where you where you take this and where what it can become for Humboldt and hopefully it'll it'll change the course of some children's lives and some and some power or young adults lives in yeah. some in some powerful <laughs> ways yeah I'm I'm excited too um and then so if anyone listening is interested in hosting or just finding out more our website is www.homegrownhosthomes.org you can also call me at 707-502-2228 for more information. Or you can email me at info at homegrownhosthomes.org. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Joanne. I had a great time talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, guys.